Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. And it's by a show of hands, how many of you consider yourself to be a pretty patient person? Okay, by the same honesty, those of you who consider yourselves to be not a very patient person, raise your hand. Because yeah, you're with me, see? See, I, I'm, I'm not patient. In fact, how many of you know that I'm not patient? Good, because I know you're not either. That's okay. So, so here's the thing. Okay, so a couple of incidents I, w- I want to share with you that shows uh, my patience, okay? So uh, one time I was doing uh, revival services uh, at a church up north. I used to do a lot of those, and I haven't for many years now. But, uh, I'm, you know, whenever you get little higher educated people draw you to, because they want, that's what they're, what they're looking for. Personally, I think it doesn't matter how much education you have, if the Spirit's in you, it's going to work, yeah? So anyway, but, but so you're, you're in demand. So I remember there was a service that, that I was, I was going to go do, um, and, and I was a little bit late, and I was, I was, I was trucking right along. I was on, on I-65. I was going to a, a little church, a little Western church in Monon, Indiana. It's in the, was at the time, the Central District. And so I'm cruising along pretty quickly, um, and I got on this other little highway to get up in there. And, uh, and, uh, and of course, there was, for the last several miles, there, I thought, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it on time. I left Terrell a little bit late, but I'm going to make it. And don't you know, uh, Ma and Paul Kettle were in front of me. <laughs> and there's not a darn thing I could do about it. And you better believe I was, I, and the whole time, I said, all you, all you do, have, you slow down, and I just, and in my mind, I'm thinking, could you, uh, here's a, oh, oh, maybe that's your turn. Oh, maybe that's your turn. None of them were the turn. I couldn't pass because the curves, because the hills, there was no way to pass. I'm thinking, oh, gosh, you know. And so finally, I, and of course, I'm talking to myself, you know, because we do that when we're, we're upset, you know. And so what I should have done is put on some Christian music and waved at them and said, bless your hearts, you know, <laughs> right? But I didn't. And, and so, and I'm thinking, where, 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 you know, where, where they're going that, you know, it, it, it's just so slow, you know. And anyway, so as we're cruising right along, finally, I finally put my head in my hand like this, and I'm like this here. Because <laughs> you know you're not going anywhere. And it didn't take very long after that that I realized where they were going. They put, turned into the church with me. <laughs> you, you talk about being humbled. I'm going to tell you right now. And I kept thinking... Gosh, I hope they don't notice I was behind them, right? Because they're walking, well, that was evangelist, by the way. <laughs> Nobody's surprised by that, are you? I broke with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so another time, and this was a little bit more recent, uh, I was uh, going to do an active shooter training uh, down at a church in, uh, uh, south of here. Uh, about a year or so ago, about this time, I think. And uh, I was uh, in a hurry, and I had my squad car, and I was cruising right along. And, of course, what do people do when the squad car comes up behind them? Slow down. And I'm thinking, <laughs> right? And so, anyway, uh, but this, this is a little bit different. So I pulled into Sullivan County, and I thought, I'll grab a breakfast sandwich on my way in. And so I, I'm thinking, okay, I've got a couple choices here. I've got Hardy's on the right. I've got McDonald's on the far left and Burger King on the near left. And I, so my choice was going to be on who had the least line in the drive-thru. Who, who's done that? Be honest. Come on. Okay. Now, you'd prefer one, but you're right. I personally would choose Burger King every time or the other two, probably. And, unless, of course, I'm going to get chicken tenders, then I'm going to go to Hardee's. Anybody with me? Okay. So anyway, uh, I, I said, okay, Hardee's had the least line. It almost always does. I thought, Perfect. And just as I turned the corner, coming out of Graysville, another car, and, I, and, court, and, and she had just made the turn, and, and I knew I was in trouble when the car was doing this. 
And, and, and I'm almost like, I'm, you're anticipating the speed of the vehicle, and I almost, gosh, I'm going to slam on my brakes in the parking lot. And so she pulls up, and, and then she's not quite close. And she stops at the first sign, and then she seems like she sits there. I'm like, and then finally, she, she finally pulls up, and then, and then I thought, you, surely you know what you're getting. And then when she gets there, and she didn't, and I can hear her talking back and forth. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Is that, so I look over, can I go to Burger King? You know, there's a line there. So finally, gal pulls up, and I'm thinking, are you kidding me? What would you do, order everything off the menu? Because it was like, they kept canning bag after bag. And then, of course, she didn't have the right change, you know. And, 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 I'm, and, I, and I'm sitting there like this. Right? And so I, I kept my mouth shut, but my attitude wasn't very good. And so then I pulled up, and I got my cash out, and, and the guy said, oh, the gallon paid for you. And, and, and she just wanted to say, thank you for your service. And I went, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See? Now listen, okay? Right? How, uh, this, just saying. That doesn't mean tomorrow I'm not going to be I'm simply saying I'm trying to be better. I, I really am. But I realize that I'm not going to do it on my own. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 5. Scroll down to verse 7. James is, is, is pretty clear here about different things, but as we continue in our series, Life Lessons from James, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm getting some serious life lessons as I go through it. Anybody? And so notice what James has to say as he begins this, this patience thing. He says, be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too then be patient and stand firm. Why? Because the Lord's coming is near. Why? Because the Lord's coming is near. Be patient for the Lord's coming is near. Now, that's, that's interesting because there's two ways that this could really go, but I'm going to focus on the first part, and then we're going to go to the second part because there's two ways to look at this passage. He says, do not grumble against one another. Now, <laughs> you get people together, we're going to grumble. Anybody? Anybody grumbled in the last two weeks against another? Huh. Okay. So don't grumble, okay, don't do it, or you'll be judged, for the judge is standing at the door. Now, some of you might be thinking, oh, you, you did this on purpose. No, I, it's in succession. These, these sermons were put together, and, and Jonathan and John will tell you that I gave them a list of all the messages how many weeks ago? Two months ago, maybe? Are, 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 have they gone in succession just like I said they would? Okay, so if you were grumbling the last couple of weeks, <laughs> don't, don't, your, your quarrel's not with me. Amen? I didn't, I didn't think this up. This is already, already put into place, right? But I suspect that all through the, the, the list of messages we've done, maybe each one spoke to somebody and it, it was the week that you needed it. Because, you see, that's how God operates. He always knows, doesn't He? And you, you couldn't plan it out that way if you wanted to. Friends, let me tell you what I don't do. I do not plan messages based on what I think people need to hear. And I won't postpone them if certain people that I want to hear it aren't there. I've heard of pastors doing it, but I won't. I figure if this is what God's given me, I'm going to present it, and I let the, door, the Lord do the convicting. I'm not going to convict anybody. It's not, my, it's not my game. not my call. It's His. Amen? I'm just the messenger. So James is trying to tell us the same thing. He's just saying, look, guys, the judge is... is Christ, and he is standing at the door. Now, we're going to talk about that here in a second. Then he goes on to say, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. How many of you know that? Okay, so having said that, let me say this. Most people believe that the Bible teaches us to be patient. Agreed? Anybody disagree with that? But see, we wrongly believe that it typically means to be patient with one another. 
Now, I know it seems to say that. I know that it kind of, in so many words, does say that. In fact, you might even say it says it verbatim because it does, but we're, we're missing what he's actually saying in the bigger picture. And you're going to go, oh, when it comes to you, because this is huge. And it took me a while, maybe about 30 years to get this. That's a long time, isn't it? And I hope that none of you has to wait 30 years to finally get what the Lord's trying to tell you. Because, right, we, we need to be at quicker than that. But God seems to reveal things to us at the appropriate time. Have you noticed that? Okay, so even though it does teach this, it isn't the main teaching of patience. It's actually to have patience with God. I want you to understand that. And, 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 and whatever you're doing right now, whatever you, you might want to write it down, that's fine. But I want you to look up and I want you to get this from me. The patience that James is talking about is having patience with God. You understand? You, you, you have to grasp this because if you don't, you'll not be patient with anyone. It's important that we understand. A second thing that many people think is that if you're a Christian, that everything's just going to be wonderful. And it is based on your status now. But let's face it, you become a Christian, the devil's like, oh, you think things are going to be great? Watch and see. He did that to me, he, and he continues to do it. Who's with me? Okay? Now, maybe people believe it should be wonderful, and I get that. And, and maybe at first it is. You think it's going to continue this way. But then, right, things begin to happen. In fact, the gospel of health and wealth promises that living for Christ will turn this world into a bed of roses. I got news for you. It doesn't work that way. And I'm not going to say that we shouldn't have that kind of an understanding about health and wealth. But our Christianity cannot be based on that. And if you're practicing Christianity based on health and wealth, I would say you're in it for the wrong reasons. Because if that's the case, then your mindset will always be about pursuing those particular things versus pursuing what Christ pursued, and that wasn't health and wealth. It was the lost. Are you getting this here? Christ pursued the lost. The Bible says he came to seek and save the lost. I believe we've got a song that says that. Yeah? He came to seek and save the lost. He didn't come to pursue health and wealth. Health and wealth is part of Christianity, hopefully. Hopefully God does bless you through it, but that is not the main concern now, is it? And I look at some of the prophets in the Old Testament. I look at some of those in the New Testament, and guess what? They didn't have health and wealth. Even the Apostle Paul had neither. Had neither. In fact, every last one of the disciples, the chosen 12, died with nothing. Nothing. You know why? Because they didn't need anything but him. Come on now. Who among you needs anything besides him? Really? Really? In the end, would you be willing to part with the most precious possession or whatever it is that really excites you? Would you be willing to part with it to accept him? Because in eternity, that's all you're going to have. That's all you're ever going to need. And if you're living life outside of that, then God's got a message for you today. And you know what he wants you to do? Leave your pew. I don't care if it's at the end of the sermon. I don't care if it's in the middle of it. I don't care if it's right now. Get up here. Get on your knees. Beg for his forgiveness and say, Lord, all I need is you. All I need is you, really. And, and if I'm struggling, I need you to help me with that. So I, all I see is you. Because until you do that, you're never going to see him. Not completely. So remember that. Now, understand also that Christ does promise us some things, and one of those things is affliction. <laughs> right. I mean, you, you, you choose anything in life, friends, okay, where the promise is bad stuff, you, you're not going to accept it. You're going to choose another path, yeah? If you go to the store to buy an appliance, and you have one here that says you've got a great rating, it'll probably last you so many years, blah, blah, blah. And this one's here says, well, you can just about plan to have problems right from the get-go with this one. Which one are you, you going to buy? I mean, right? I mean, I, don't, I used to sell cars. That probably no, doesn't surprise anybody. And uh, so, you know, uh, but don't, don't get that out of your head because, right, 
So, uh, in fact, on, when I was selling printing, uh, my wife will remember this. Uh, our uh, store manager, at Express Press of Indiana, had a uh, his name was Tim Alot, and he had a uh, uh, you know you know those little pads that you get that has the, like the joke of the day or has something, and it gives you food, you know what I mean. He had one that said it was this guy uh, in um, in a boat pulling away from the shore, and it was a bunch of igloos and had a bunch of Eskimos, and he had sold them refrigerator and freezers, and uh, and it says Dan a man, king of the salespeople. <laughs> That's pretty funny, and uh, so. You know, but here, you know why I could sell? Because I believed in my product. I 100% believed in my product. But here, let me tell you what I didn't do. When somebody came on the lot, I never said, you know, I want you to buy this car, but I'm sure it's going to fail since you drive it off the lot. I wouldn't do that, and neither would you. And you wouldn't buy it if somebody did. See, this isn't, this isn't how it works. God promises you affliction, and so why would anybody choose Christianity? Because it isn't the affliction we're looking at. It's the benefit. It's what God's going to bring. Plus, this life, even if you have affliction, Paul says, even though I'm afflicted, even though I'm intestate, even though I have zippo, zero, nada, and I'm under, uh, under uh, uh, persecution, and I'm in prison, and now i got this stomach ailment that clearly God gave me. I don't understand it, but he did. He said, I count it all gain. Because he knows, in the end, he's the Christ. And not only that, Christ will never leave him, and he didn't. But see, we want to we leave Christ as soon as things start getting tough. Now, I could continue on that, but I've got a sermon here to preach. But I can, I've got to let you understand the depth here of what James is trying to teach you and tell you. And to prove this fact, we know that the people to whom James wrote during this time suffered at the hands of the wealthy and the knowledgeable, and the learned, and the smart. And friends, in this day and age, I assure you, based on the way, I don't know about the rest of the world, but where our nation is going, those younger than us think they know more than we do. I assure you that they do. They're being taught that they do. They're being taught that in school. I will say this to you, because I don't want to discourage anybody, but the fact is, there is no substitute for experience. Zero. And you cannot reinvent Christianity because God has laid out what it is. So remember that and understand this, because it happened to them, because it continues to happen throughout the ages, we too are probably going to have to suffer for Christ. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul says so. So the question is, how do we respond to affliction for Christ? Well, patience. <laughs> patience is the key. So what's the definition of patience? Well, the English word for patience comes from the Greek word, you ready? Makruth umeo. Makruth umeo. Can you say it? Makruth umeo. Okay. It literally means to be of long spirit, not to lose heart, to persevere patiently and bravely in enduring misfortunes and troubles, to be patient in bearing the offenses and injuries of others, to be mild and slow in avenging, to be long-suffering, slow to anger, slow to punish. <laughs> that doesn't sound like anybody I know because we're quick to judgment and quick to avenge. Yeah? And let's face it, we've all done it too. We're quick. Someone, have you ever known anybody where things are going along just fine, and then somebody mentions something, all of a sudden, vroom, they blow up, and they're like, what? And it changes their demeanor instantly. And the first thing they want to do is use words to hurt. Now, they will say that they didn't do it to hurt. They did it because it was a quick reaction. Yeah, but if the heart was different, it wouldn't have. Understand? And it might hurt a little bit, but, you know, you've you got to accept it. That's you. And this is why Paul uses it in Ephesians 4, 2. He says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, remember I just told you it's being patient with God, not one another. But you have to understand that you can't be patient with one another unless you're patient with God. And I'm going to explain to you why. Because I know some people are here thinking, well, wait a minute. I, I can be patient with God and with people. No, 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 you can't. No, you can't. You can't be patient with people unless you're patient with God first. And let me, I'm going to explain to you why in just a second. The fact is, we are anything but patient today, myself included. Okay? 
This creates an atmosphere for us to be impatient in just about everything. And allow me to explain what I mean by that. Most Christians would say that though they are typically impatient in some things, okay? I'll bet you you 90% of you will say, yep, yep, that's right. Christians will say that they can be, they're, they're impatient in some things, but they can completely turn it around and not be impatient with their spouse, their children, other Christians, and even God. Because they can turn it on or turn it off when need be. My question is, why would it ever not need be? Because that's what James is asking. But if we live, work, and play in an atmosphere that's mostly impatient, how are we going to be patient when we get home with, our, with those we love? Come on, don't tell me you never brought your work home. Don't tell me you never brought your stress home. Don't tell me you never brought all sorts of things home and you start to treat those around you in the manner of the workday that you had or the where you, wherever you've been. Sometimes it's just being around the wrong people. We try not to, but it happens. And listen, like I've said before, there are going to be people in your life that are going to get on your nerves. And let's face it, there's somebody that's going to get on your very last nerve. And it's almost like they're jumping up and down on it. And you're trying to, you're laughing, but you know what I'm talking, and you're, you're trying to maintain. And you're, and you're like, oh, keep it up, just keep it up. Because this is coming. Because the, the storm is rising, and you're about to get unleashed on. And nine times out of ten, it's the person that you love the most is sitting right next to you. Come on. See, this is why Paul writes that it's important to be humble and gentle, because only then can we be patient. Now, there are lots of things we ought to be patient about. For instance, let's say you have difficulty with someone, including somebody in the church. Of course, that's never happened in our two churches, you know, but, but I know in other churches they have this problem. I can't see you, so I don't know what your heart... Hold on. Yeah, you're all smiling. Okay, so... I know, it's, I know it must be somewhere else, but i got to talk about it anyway, all right, so, uh, because it could happen here. So uh, you've been patient with this person, more patient with them uh, to mature, to change, to be convicted, whatever, whatever it is that you're desiring for them. You know, you're just thinking, if that person would just, right? You never look in the mirror at all, but you're, you're saying, if that person would just, whatever it is. Of course, I've never done that. And I'm certain you've never done it either. So we must be talking about the church down the street. I'm sure of it. But for some reason, this, this, this same old person is always there. Even though you try to have a good attitude about them, they're, they're right? And, and then you'll have a conversation with them. You're thinking, okay, uh, maybe this time it's going to be a little different. And then they open their mouth and pff, there they are. Come on. I'm saying what you're all thinking. And even though sometimes there's been some improvement, it seems like it's a slow improvement. And they bring new meaning to two steps forward and three steps back, don't they? And I, you know what? I, here's the deal. Every single person in here has probably got a face that's coming to their mind. It might be a person that you know now. It might have been someone from the past. I don't know. And it could be somebody close to you. It could be a child. It could be a parent. It could be just another church Remember, but you still struggle with them. And oftentimes, we come to a point where we don't want to be around them much. And when they call, or you've got to talk to them, or you've got to be near them, and, like, and, and if there's things going on at the church, you know, uh, and they're going to be involved in it, you may or may not go based on that. It's happened. And I'm going to ask you today, to pray for our Southern church in faith because they're going through a terrible time right now with that. And we need to pray for them. And you know what? You know why we need to pray? Because it needs to humble us, remind us it could happen here just that fast. Over stupidity, over ridiculousness. It could happen. Sometimes it's just misunderstanding. Sometimes it's just personality conflicts, but it happens. And somehow we're saying to God that you're more necessary than that person is. We're somehow saying that. We, we would never admit it. We'd never out loud say it. But deep down, that's what we're saying. And you know what happens when we don't want to be around them much? Then we don't even want to serve with them. We're actually telling God, I don't want to serve with this person. And what if God puts you together? 
And yet here's Paul saying we have to be patient with these people. And I know how easy it is to say, well, I've been patient enough. Because I listen, with, with, listen, even with my congregations, I've been patient enough. Because I'll be like, well, I, that's already been asked and answered. I've already been down there. Why do I need to keep harping on this issue when the congregation ought to stink and know that this is how you do and this is how you don't? How, you think pastors don't go through that? We do. Just like you do. We've told that pastor over and over and over again to stop preaching on that subject. We've told him over and over and over again to be quicker in his messages. You think I don't know? Maybe we'll say, I've tried, but they just don't want to improve. They won't improve. They refuse to improve. What more can I do? My question is, what have you done to help them? What you've done is separate yourself from them. You haven't, you haven't come near to them and loved on them, have you? Boy, that'll, that'll humble you and them. You love on them, won't it? Now, come on. When we were pastoring in Decatur, okay, we lived in South Bend because I pastored there first, and then for whatever reason, God just didn't open the doors for us to buy a house or move down. To, every time we tried to do it, we couldn't do it. We built a, new, a brand new home in the South Bend area, and for whatever, we just couldn't move. And, but I still pastored there three years, so every Sunday, we would get up at five or so in the morning and get on the road and be in Decatur two hours away by 9 a.m. And I did it with six kids. And I'm, praise the Lord, for a wife that could get them all ready. And every once in a while, when you spend that much time in a vehicle together, especially in the back seat, somebody's going to pull a stunt, so somebody's going to do something. And, and, and my two eldest girls would, would get into it. And one of them was, was sneaky and, you know, would always look like an angel. And the other one went, wouldn't, you, you know who I'm talking about right off the bat. And so, and so the one, that we would make them sit there and hold hands the whole way home. And, boy, they hated that. They hated it. But they're the best friends in the world today. Now, friends, you love on somebody who gets on your last nerve, it will change you, not them. And, and, and God will begin to change because you because you can't change them. God has to do it. He has to do the changing. You understand? He, he has to change them. And I, and I begin to think about that over and over and over again. Because perhaps they should have improved. Perhaps they should have changed. But herein lies a question. Aren't you glad that God was and continues to be patient with you? There, there's, there's a, there's a million-dollar question, isn't it? So really, how patient is he asking you to be? How patient is he asking me to be? Well, he was completely patient with me, and he continues to be. So how can I be any less patient with the one that gets on my very last nerve? Isn't that fair to ask? You see, God is not asking us to be any more patient with others than He is with us. You might want to write that down, friends. I made that, I thought that up all by myself. You may to write that down. John, you might want to put that on the site. I don't care if you put my name next to it or not. I'm telling you. God is not asking you to be any more patient with anybody else than He has been with you. Wow, we could probably quit right there. We're not, but we could. <laughs> you see, this is why James is trying to preach to us, why he's trying to teach to us, and, and this, this is the reason why. You see, we aren't really patient with the person. We're really being patient with God or not. Are you starting to see the pattern here? You're starting to see the picture? In the realm of Christianity, God is the one who does the changing. Me and you. Yes, the person might not be responding to interchange or attitude or even spiritual change. They may not, but God's still working on them. Uh, up in Decatur, we haven't done it here, but up in Decatur, we just, it was the first time I ever heard this chorus, uh, and, and uh, my, my song leader at the time was a guy by the name of uh, John Smith. Believe it or not, John Smith is the name. And he, uh, he and matter of fact, um, I did a funeral of a, uh, just a, well, I've got mothers in every church I've ever pastored, Okay. And uh, this gal, Rosie, was probably my mother there. There were a couple of them, but she, she was, like, special to me. We spent a lot of time together. And, uh, when she, when she, and she told me, I don't care where you are, but when I die, you're doing the funeral. That's it. 
and her son and daughter honored that. And it had been, well, 18 years. And John and I got back together at this little church because the other church was gone, but at the, at the church he was attending, we, we got together and did things together. First time we'd done it in 18 years. It was nice to see him. It really was. And, and he used to sing this song called, He's Still Working On Me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Even if you don't know the song, you, you, you know the example of that. Isn't he still working on you? He's still working on me. I know it. You see, we're not the ones that's responsible for the changes in the person. God is. I'm not, I'm not responsible to change you. You're not responsible to change me. I'm the messenger. Okay? And you, sometimes you're the messenger to me. We're all messengers to each other, see? Because either Christ exudes through you by the Spirit or He doesn't. Well, that, you, you're going to hear a pin in here. You wouldn't hear it if it dropped. You know why? Because we need to get this in our heads. God, God's the changer. Not you, not me. But Christ exudes through us or He doesn't. And sometimes the messenger in us doesn't come out. The judge in us comes out. Doesn't it? See, we're not responsible for the person. They're not responsible to us. They're responsible to God. We're responsible to God, and He's the one. Has to make the, you see why you have to be patient with Him? Because only God can change them. And if they're not changing, we got to be. We got to uh, forget about who they are and start looking at Christ and saying, uh, "I got to be patient with Him." He's going to and trust. Me, he's going to keep working on them until they do. And sometimes when you do that. You're the one that's changed because you exuded patience and endurance, and that's what the Bible's trying to tell you. Be patient with God, not the people, because you'll, you'll be disappointed by them. See, we know that God continues to work on them by the power of His Spirit. It's expressly why we have to be patient, for it is to God that we too are responsible American theologian and pastor, Dr. Uh, Joseph Henry Thayer. Some of you might have read some of his works, uh, especially pastors might use his commentaries, Dr. Thayer. Very good. Uh, he wrote several commentaries and books. And on this thing called patience, Dr. Thayer says it takes bravery <laughs> to be patient. I never, I never thought of it that way, but boy, he opened my eyes several months ago when I started putting this together. It took bravery to be patient. How many of you had to be patient with your grown children? Uh-huh. How many of you young parents find that there are certain days you've got to be awful patient with your kids? It takes bravery. That's what he said, bravery. Because he says, when we're patient, we do it for the Lord, not one another. And sometimes we have to do it through perseverance as we endure bravely through misfortune, troubles, and even other people. And he, and he must be right because Jesus says that God is patient and continues to be patient and smile upon and do good toward all people. Even the evil and the, and the unrighteous. I, that, that stuns me. And I, I'm thinking, I can't let that go. I, I can't just let that slide away. God... According to the Bible, is patient and continues to smile upon and do good toward all people, even the evil and the unrighteous. Matthew 5, 44 to 45, but I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Well, see, I, 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 I don't always perceive God that way. But he is that way, because the Bible says that he is. And you know why I know it's true? Because Jesus himself just said it. Wow is right. Man, that's huge. The point is that if God does this for the evil and the unrighteous, how could you and I be any different? But there's a second definition of this. James uses an additional Greek word in the second part of this, of this, this uh, passage, uh, and, and it's not the first one. It's not makrothumeo. It's hupamone. Hupamone. Why is that important? 
because this one has a little bit deeper meaning, and it relates to the internal heart of the individual rather than just their attitude. Okay? There's a difference. Let me explain it. Everybody in here can be patient at times. Can't we? But that doesn't make you a patient person. Do you understand that? Even though you can, you can exude patience or you can practice a patient attitude at times, it doesn't make you a patient person inside. Which one do you think God would prefer? The one who's patient inside, who sometimes exudes impatience, versus the one who is impatient inside and sometimes exudes patience. You see? The, because the former is the one that God has moved upon and the one that God is changing. He would rather we be a changed person and fall on occasion versus being a fallen person and clean up pretty good. Wow. Whew. Anybody get goosebumps on that? James is saying that God is calling us to more than being patient sometimes. Like most other things God calls us to, He's calling us to a lifestyle of patience, which means there has to be a profound change within us, and He's the only one that can do it. Something where His Spirit not only resides in us, but it becomes all that we are. It, it thinks for us, it responds for us, it talks for us, it acts for us. And the fact is, friends, if we're really surrendered to our own thinking and allowed the Spirit to transform us based on the person of Christ, that alone will bring change, the change necessary to have true patience. You see, it, it's, it, Paul says it's the transforming and the renewing of your what? Your mind. Because here are things. When you come into contact with people, and that's a lot, you will oftentimes not say what you're thinking, and for good reason. Amen? However, do you think they can tell? Sometimes. Maybe all the time. Because when you, when you look at them, it's almost like you, you almost go, it's fake. And you'll even tell others, well, I didn't say what I wanted to say. No, probably not. Good thing, too. And you're like, and here's what you do. You'll hang your hat on that you used to just say it, but you've improved so much that now you just, and don't say it. And we're laughing because that's us, isn't it? But what do you think God could do for that person when you don't, but you are totally transformed and you're like real with them and love on them regardless of what they have or haven't done toward you? You see, Christ loved you knowing that many would not return that love, and He gave it anyway. He gave His life for those that would never accept what He offered. And sometimes we're not a very good example of accepting it. And so how can we give that any love any different? Somehow we're going to separate patience and love. Can't. Because Christ knew that when He gave His love to us, He was going to have to be very patient with us to accept and, and move on it. And even those who do accept it right away, because he, we don't always let him transform us immediately to what he wants us to be. Uh, come on now. Be honest. How many of you, God's still working on? Remember that? He's still working on me, isn't he? Are you everything God wants you to be? Are you as patient as he wants you to be? Are you loving toward others that he wants you to be? But aren't you glad he is toward you? Come on, guys. Right? Dr. Thayer once again says it becomes established heart in order to strengthen us and firm us within. In fact, it brings us an endurance under great stress. Clearly, Jesus would know what that was. I think that when he went to the cross, he knew what great stress was. I think that before he went, he knew what it was. I think that when he came into this world, he knew what great stress was. His entire life was based upon that. What do you think? which is why he calls us to do exactly that. And all he's asking us to do is follow him. With his, without his example, we couldn't do it. In fact, listen to Luke's words in Acts 14. He says, uh, he uses the same descriptions for patience that Jesus did. They preached the gospel in the city that won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, strengthening the, the disciples and encouraging them to remain true in the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Yep. And I wonder... 
what my hardships are compared to theirs. You think there's any comparison? Because I doubt it. The big questions are, which am I? Am I patient? Or am I really impatient? Do I realize that it's really God that I'm impatient with when I do it? Probably not. And that I use an excuse to believe that it's people that I'm impatient with, so it gets me off the hook with God? Well, just because you think you're off the hook with God doesn't mean He thinks it. Amen? So my question to you is, what do you think God will say when you meet Him? And that could be in the next second, in the next minute, the next day, the next week, the next year, but it could come. And you better be ready because I think it's going to be when nobody expects it. <laughs> so let's, let's change gears here. Why? Why do we have to be patient? Quickly. Because the Lord is coming. Anybody in here think the Lord's not coming? I mean, if you think that, my question is, why are you here? Because He's coming. How many of you know He's coming? Mm -hmm. So then why do we have to display this godly patience? Because, you see, patience and godly patience are two different things, aren't they? My patience isn't very good. It's not real patience. But godly patience, no, that, that's patience. Some people say, they, they, they give the attribution to Job. Yeah, he's got the patience of Job. No, Job had the patience of God. Didn't he? Have you thought of that before? Why would, why would we attribute it to Job? Because he was human? Well, good night, friends. The Holy Spirit's in you. Who's the patience coming from? Not you. You can learn to be patient, but that doesn't make you patient. Remember, that, remember the two different things? You're, you've learned to be patient. I would rather somebody who just loves from the heart rather than somebody who learned to do it. Huh? Which one does God want? You see, the belief in the Lord's soon return gives us reason to patiently endure. Romans 8, 18 and 2 Corinthians 4, 17 to 18, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And my question is, we, we read that and we say, yep, 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 but we ain't living it. Because we're living life for the seen and the temporary versus the unseen and the eternal. We're living life for the now, not the next, not the next one. Come on. Tell the truth. Don't tell me that you know, I'm not. Yes, you are. To some measure, all humans do that. The question is, only question is, to what measure is it in you? Well, first of all, let's break this down. He says, endure. Endure what? Everything we deal with in this life. <laughs> I mean, how many of you think life's an endurance? Yeah, sometimes it is. Some days are worse than others. Amen? Sometimes it's life's troubles, some things, things we can't control, things from other people, things that come from Satan, and some things that actually come from God. Ask Paul. God, God did it, the Bible says. Why? Well... Because we know that no matter what happens in this life, fair or not, what has God done? Saved us. He saved us. What, what more do you really expect from Him? You see, a true Christian, according to Jesus, will be grateful for the salvation he received and expect nothing more from God at all. But we do expect more. We expect Him to give us more because we chose, yeah. He's the one who gave it. Who, who do we think we are? Isn't, isn't salvation enough? Jesus said it ought to be. Paul said it was. All the great saints in here said salvation was enough. Because if salvation was enough for you, then you wouldn't cry and whine to Christ about anything else. You'd be grateful that He gave it to you, even though you didn't deserve it, and oftentimes still don't. Right? Yeah, mm, it's right. It's really, it, it's, it's really compelling when you think about it. 
We belong to Christ no matter what, and no matter how much time it takes, He's returning to take us home. I know it. I know it. We're going to have to be completely blameless and, and, and wait with patient endurance. The problem is we might not be willing to put our entire belief system in the fact of a possible second life. And, I, and I, I, I look at Christians and think, I don't believe that they do. Why? Because our actions prove in our society, and even in the church today, that we prefer, to, again, to live for this life rather than the eternal one. And yet, the Bible says His coming is near. Yes, I know that God considers soon, what God considers soon is different than what you and I consider soon. And yes, I know that the early apostles thought it would happen in their own lifetimes. And yes, I know that we can't know for sure when it's happening. And I began to think about that and I thought, but again, does it, does it mean it won't happen in our lifetimes? No, it doesn't. Does it mean it might not? Yes. But either way, it's coming. It does mean that we must be ready because it can happen at any time. And here's the question. You've heard it harped on and preached on for years. My question is, who among you today is ready now? Who's ready right now? Because I'm going to tell you something. I'm ready right now. I'm ready right now. You know what? Maybe yesterday I wasn't, but today I am. And maybe today I really wasn't, but tomorrow I will. You know why? Because I really believe if he comes, then he comes. I'm, I, I, I'm excited for that. But if you live life in the wrong manner and you're playing a game, then you're not ready. You, you friends, I, I've gotten to the point that I've realized how, how short life is and how fragile it is. And my granddad used to say to me, I hope I pass away in my sleep. It's easier that way. And that terrifies me to pass away in my sleep. And yet, with Christ, what difference does it make? So when I hit the pillow at night, if I don't wake up, am I okay with that? Should be. Huh? Because you know what? In the end, no matter how you go, you're gonna, you're, you're, he's going to come get you. You're in His presence immediately. Now, there's conjecture about what happens after death, but it doesn't really matter. The fact is, the Bible says, we will be with Him in presence. It doesn't matter if we're walking streets of gold or not. One day we will be. It's His timing. But I know that at death, I'm with Him. Not, not in dispute. Listen to the words of Jesus Himself, Mark 13, 31 and 33. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know what time will come. Jesus has spoken. The question is, are we listening? You know what else the Bible says, according to verse 9? He's always near. It says the judge is standing at the door. And I began to think about that, and I thought, what do you mean? What, what, is, what does this mean exactly, standing at the door? You see, it isn't really a door per se. It's just a figure of speech. It's an expression to show two things. One, that he's coming soon. And secondly, he's already at the door. I want you, I want you to break that down for a second. I need, your, I need your undivided attention here. I want you to grasp this. Because sometimes we read Scripture and we quote it back and we don't even really know what it means. Not really. And God wants you to know what this one means. Well, He wants you to know what all of them mean, but you, you, know, you understand me. You see, friends, you don't really stand next to a door unless you think you're going through it fairly soon. I mean, I mean some of you might... <laughs> I've known people that came to church and hadn't been there for a while, you know, and they came to church and they sat as close to the door as they could be. <laughs> Right? I've had people say, you know, I should come to church, but I'm afraid of you know, ceiling will fall in. You know, come on. Why would we say those things? Because we're feeling convicted that we should have been there before. But see, God, God doesn't condemn you. He's just glad you're there. And He wants to compel you to come back soon. Maybe the next time it's open. Yeah? But you don't stand at the door unless you're ready to go through it. You see, he's coming soon, and he believes he is. That's why he's at the door. Secondly, it proves that he's near to us. Why? Because if, he, if he's ready to return quickly, he must be pretty near. It shows that Jesus is ready and waiting at the door of heaven to immediately come and rapture his church the moment the Father gives the word. 
I mean, picture that in your mind for a minute. He's standing at the door of heaven, just waiting for the Father to say, go, and he's gone right here. He's going to meet us in the clouds, yeah? And dead in Christ are going to, what, rise first. And those of us who are still alive, what's going to happen? Follow him, and we transform that quickly. And then the, and the Bible says, and so we will all go to be with the Lord forever. And aren't you glad of that? This is how we know the door is significant. He wants to enter the door of our hearts first because he, if he stands at the door and he hasn't stood at this door first, we can't go. Do you understand? We, we can't go unless we've opened this door. Our door, the door of our heart has to open first before he, we can enter the heaven's door. You get that, right? Don't play a game if you don't. Understand it. Listen to the words of Christ himself. Revelation 3.20, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hears my voice and opens the door, right? And opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Clearly, Jesus is saying that he is near mankind. The question is, what's he doing here? What's he doing? First, he's here to see the wickedness of mankind. He has to. He has to see the wickedness of mankind. And you're, are you guessing, Pastor? No, I'm not guessing. The Bible says it. Hebrews 4.13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes. And He is the one to whom we are accountable. But we want to be accountable to one another and to ourselves. You're not. Everybody on this earth is accountable to the Father. Which is why your brand of Christianity better be His. Not yours. Not somebody else's. His, because he's the judge, and he's the one that's going to decide. But here's the thing. Why does he do it? Because in his humanness, he has to continue to see what mankind is like in order to continue to be one with the Father in righteous judgment. This is a big key. No matter how much grace and love Jesus has, the Father is going to exude judgment, and they're one. And so these people out here, these Christians who claim no such thing, no such thing as judgment, no such thing, it's all love and mercy. No, it's not. The Father and the Son are one, and the Father will bring judgment, period. And the Son is right along with them. And no amount of love and mercy is going to save the person that refused them. You do understand that, right? Friends, many Christians don't want to believe this part, but it's true. And yet there's a second reason and even a better reason. Why is he here? Why is he near? So he can answer the prayers of the afflicted who belong to him. That's why. Every one of you is afflicted in some manner. And if you're not today, you will be tomorrow. But I'll tell you this. I can, I can move around a little bit more today. Right, John? I want you to look in the mirror of your mind and soul right now. This is huge. Every single one of us is afflicted. Every one of us is afflicted. Do you know what we're afflicted with? A sinful desire. That's what we're afflicted with. The world is afflicted with a desire for sinfulness. Can't pick up a newspaper, turn on the television, or even walk outside your door without knowing that. Yes or no? We have a desire for what afflicts us, and that is a sinful desire, and is wrought by the enemy of God, the arch enemy of God. And if he's the enemy of God, he's the enemy of you. That's a fact. <laughs> First Peter 3.12, The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Do you know how many Christians out there would say that that's not true? I don't know how you break it down any different. I don't know how you change the meaning of that verse. Peter says he turns his eyes and ears against those who do evil. Well, if Peter says it, is it true? Well, God put it there. Because if it wasn't supposed to be there, he wouldn't have allowed it to be in the Scripture, would he? So what are we talking about here? To me, the verse tells it all. Do you think 
that there are going to be Christians who believe differently today who's going to be shocked when Christ returns? I do. Perhaps those Christians will be part of the goats and not the sheep. <laughs> Have you considered that today? But that's a sermon for. Yeah, you're going to get it too. Lastly, in the why, impatience causes condemnation. Yes, it's true. Notice what James says, be patient with one another or you're going to be judged. This is clearly a warning that impatience will cause us to be condemned. You see, friends, anyone who will be judged stands before the great white throne of judgment. If you're going to be judged, you're going to stand there. Because if Christ saved you, you won't see that place. You won't stand before judgment. You have to give an accounting at the judgment seat of Christ, different thing. But you won't judge, be judged before the Father. You won't even appear before Him because He took your place and absolved you of it. You, you, you knew that, right? You won't, even, you won't even be there. But there's going to be people standing there, and every one of them is going to be guilty. Every single, there's no second chance, no ifs, ands, or buts, no but, no. Mm -mm. If you're there, it's a done deal. Now, here's the thing. They're going to be outside of God's grace. Why? Why is that? Because they were disobedient. They failed to measure up to what Christ expects and demands. And yes, impatience is one of those things. And before any of us begins to question if this is fair or not, understand that the Bible states that it is indeed sinful. 1 Corinthians 10.10, And do not grumble as some of them did. And they were killed by the destroying angel. Right there it is. They were killed by the destroying angel. He's looking ahead in time, and those who couldn't believe it are going to be destroyed. They thought they were Christians, and they weren't. Clearly, the Bible is saying that grumbling about anything is a result of what? Impatience. It's forbidden for the Christian. Paul's example is clear. And let's not forget the Israelites in Exodus 5 and Numbers 14. God's anger burned against them for their impatience and grumbling, even though He just took them out of Egypt. And they grumbled, he, his anger burned against them. So just because you're saved doesn't mean his anger doesn't burn against you when you do these things. Understand? We think that Christ and God are this just meek and mild trio with the Holy Spirit. And then, you know, whatever you want to do. No, not whatever you want to do, whatever he demands. And we better get to that Ricky Tick. Lastly, as our worship team comes, real quick. Friends, here's what I want to teach you today you can do this. Every single one of us in this room today can do this. Every Christian who seeks the Word of God, who seeks Christ, who seeks His kingdom can do this. Do what? Whatever He needs to do. Whatever needs to be done. We're talking about impatience and patience today, but it could be whatever afflicts you, whatever ails you, whatever, wherever you fall short. It doesn't really matter. You, you can run the whole gamut of things, this simple activity, and God can fix it. You can do it. When people say, I can't, no, it means you won't. Because if you say you can't, what you're really saying is God can't. And here's my question. What can God not do? Now, come on. And people are going to say, oh, that's different. No, no, it's not. You can do this. Think of all the prophets. My gosh, James 5.10 talks about it. Matthew 5 talks about Job. James 5.11 and all the chapters of Job. 1, 2, 13, 15, 42. I mean... We all say we can't. We all think we can't. And God's here and saying, yes, you can. I put it in you. The, all the means that you need, my spirit is in you. With man, this is impossible, Jesus said. But with God, all things are possible. All things. Make a list. Make a list of all things. And tell me you can't. You see, friends... We just have to surrender and have the willingness to allow God to make obedience, thought, and lifestyle changes within us. That's all it takes. You don't have to leave this, this facility today, whichever door you, you leave by, without allowing God to make all the thought changes, all the heart changes, all the spiritual, whatever. What, he, he can do all of them. It doesn't matter which one they are. It doesn't matter how long they've been there. It doesn't matter what resistance you, you put up. He can do it. He's here to tell you today, I can do it if you'll let me. I mean, the altar's open. I can, some people ought to be running up here because you just found 
the way to fix whatever ails you today. You see, the Lord doesn't settle all his accounts in October. Let me explain to you why I put that there. Because in the South, there's a saying amongst those who borrowed from the bank to plant crops and repay them. Uh, they repay the loan during the fall harvest. So they say, I'll settle up in October. That's a big thing down there. Ha- maybe not so much today, but it was years ago. You see, we don't have to wait for October. Why can't, why can't God settle accounts with you in September? What if it's in November, December, January? But see, friends, that's true. But here's the deal. It's September now. And God wants to settle accounts with you now. Why would you worry about an unsettled account with God when you don't need to? He wants to settle all accounts right now. It's up to you.